Presented by Meta. Hey, good morning, Playbookers. I'm Rogu Manavolan. It's Monday. Today's show, why you should expect a huge week for economic news. It's your Politico Playbook Daily Briefing. Here are the top three storylines Team Playbook is watching for this week. First up, a clearer picture of the economy. Maybe. If there's one thing the White House, economists, and basically everyone who thinks about money can agree on, it's that this is going to be a huge week for economic news. On Tuesday, we'll get new consumer confidence numbers, which have fallen for two consecutive months. Last month's report showed the consumer confidence index at its lowest level since February 2021, and the expectations index, that's the consumer's short-term outlook for income, business, and labor market conditions, are at its lowest level since 2013. On Wednesday, the Fed will meet and make a decision on just how much to raise interest rates. After the most recent inflation numbers, most observers are expecting a hike of 0.75 percentage points. That would be the fourth rate increase this year. Politico's economics reporter Victoria Guida has this to say in a story up this morning, quote, Federal Reserve Chief Jerome Powell has vowed to follow the data in deciding how high to crank up interest rates to crush the worst inflation surge in four decades. But Powell and other Fed policymakers are making that crucial decision based on data that lately has been so confusing and contradictory that it's hard for them to know where the economy actually stands. Economic growth is projected by some analysts to have been negative in the second quarter of the year. But hiring is strong, and the jobless rate sits near historic lows. Consumers say they're unhappy about the economy, but are still spending even amid the aggressive price hikes. Supply chains are improving, but manufacturing output is slowing. And COVID cases are skyrocketing again, even as America fully reopens for business. Whatever the Fed's decision, it'll be made, quote, without a clear line of sight at their target. That uncertainty heightens the risk that they'll either do too much, which would trigger a severe recession, or too little, prolonging red-hot inflation and making it harder to conquer. On Thursday, the GDP numbers for the second quarter of the year will drop and will likely show a decline. Economists are expecting a decline of 1% to 2%. It would be the second straight quarter of decline in a row, which is often interpreted as signaling a recession. The Biden administration is pre-budding the expected bad GDP news. Brian Deese, head of the National Economic Council, had this to say in a Sunday afternoon Twitter thread, quote, The economy created 1.1 million jobs in Q2. That's simply not consistent with the recession, where historically, the economy is consistently losing jobs. Looking ahead, the global economy faces significant challenges. But with a strong labor market and household finances, the U.S. can transition without giving up all the econ gains of the past 18 months. On Friday, consumer price inflation numbers will drop via the Personal Consumption Expenditure Index, which, as Politico's Ben White notes, quote, happens to be the Fed's favorite gauge of prices. Storyline number two, Dems keep the reconciliation train moving. The parliamentarian could give Senate Democrats guidance as soon as today on their plan to allow Medicare to negotiate drug prices. On Thursday and Friday, Dems, the GOP, and the Senate parliamentarian met for birdbath arguments. A top Senate aide says Republicans made challenges to three key elements of the proposal during the discussions. One, allowing seniors to break up their prescription drug payments into monthly installments rather than one lump sum all at once. Two, allowing drug companies to raise the price of drugs each year faster than the rate of inflation. And three, imposing an excise tax on drug companies that refuse to negotiate with Medicare. The aide said, quote, Democrats remain confident they'll be able to move forward with their prescription drug plans in reconciliation. Storyline number three, a pending marriage bill vote in the Senate. 
as Schumer aides says Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and Senators Tammy Baldwin and Kirsten Sinema are working other senators to grab enough votes to pass a bill that already passed the House with all Democrats and 47 Republicans voting in favor to codify same-sex marriage and interracial marriage into law. Schumer is expected to bring the bill to the floor as soon as they get to 60 votes in the Senate. There are at least five Republicans that are already likely yes votes. One senator to watch this week is the first openly gay senator, Tammy Baldwin, who is stepping into the spotlight as she tries to corral enough GOP support. The usually low-key Baldwin says she's feeling hopeful about finding enough votes, but quote, I had not expected to be fighting to protect a right that's already been won in court. Politico's Burgess Everett writes this morning that, quote, there's a focus on Republicans who have LGBTQ friends, family, or staff, and might be convinced to support the straightforward legislation based on their personal connections. Playbooks, Eugene Daniels recently sat down with Politico's White House Bureau Chief Jonathan Lemire to discuss his new book, The Big Lie, that comes out tomorrow. In it, Lemire traces what he considers the root of Trump's political career, his relationship with lying. Here's a couple excerpts from their phone call together. Let's start with, you know, there are a lot of Trump books out there, right? There are a lot of people who went through the four plus years of him both being president and running for president that have come out. Yours feels different to me, and I just finished it. Talk to folks about why it's a little bit different than, than some of the others. Yeah, I wanted to do something a little different. I wanted to, instead of trying to tell the entirety of the arc of the Trump presidency, I wanted to take a focused angle on his lies and how everything about his lies led to January 6th and has shaped our politics beyond that. That the book shows how he planted the seeds of you know, using the lie of election fraud, did so as far back as 2016. He won that election, of course, but even then claimed that there was voter fraud to explain away his popular vote defeat, and then spent four years bending the Republican Party and the conservative media to his whim, showing that they would believe his lies, big and small, and have them lose faith in the institution so they would trust only him. So when... 2020 comes around and he does lose, they're willing to go along with it. And that's the violence that we saw on January 6th. Uh, and it challenged the Biden administration ever since. So I wanted to tell a specific, I want to take a certain specific angle to, to the Trump presidency. And I believe the lie, the big lie sort of unlocks the entire administration. There was, there was such a conversation during the beginning of the Trump presidency about the word lie. Can journalists, can reporters, can we use the word lie to describe um, something that Donald Trump had said that we all, knew, we all knew to be false? So talk to me about the process of you at the time during, during the beginning of the Trump presidency coming to terms with, yeah, I can use the word lie because it's clear that you came to that determination because you wrote a whole book about it. <laughs> I mean, it, but it was a process for, for, for the media, myself included, because, you know, obviously journalists and, and those of us in Washington are used to being skeptical. We used to, to treat power uh, with some skepticism and our job is to hold them accountable. But you're used to some degree of accountability. You're used to some degree of White House puts out a statement. Of course, you, you don't just take it at face value, but you have belief that it's at least based in truth. And this was new. This, this was a new phenomenon. No president, Democrat or Republican, had ever lied the way he did. There are, of course, some high profile lies from presidents past, but nothing 
like this, someone who just moment after moment would be willing to would be willing to do it. And so therefore the media had to adjust. And I think we all got in trouble early on where we would be guilty of whether in an AP news alert or in a tweet or in a headline for any story, kind of just regurgitating what he says. Cause you know, we're all used to saying, yeah, writing headlines, you know, president says <laughs> X, but in this case, you can't say president says X because you, because it wasn't true and you needed to supply the context. So that was an adjustment for everyone that we, and it took, it took a little while and, and plenty in the media, myself included made mistakes uh, that we weren't always able to call him out whether it was his racism or his ability to lie or anything else. We weren't always will so willing to do it because you're right. That's such a loaded word. Um, but at a certain point, it's the only word that's applicable. Reporters as Americans, as, you know, people who, you know, I'm, I'm at the white house right now and I'm kind of looking out and I see a bunch of people are kind of standing outside taking pictures because this, uh, this building is such an example of democracy. And, you know, at the heart of democracy is we kind of all agree on the same things, right? Like, and kind of agree on the same set of facts. Like it, we might disagree on, you know, politics or, or policies, but X is X and Y is Y. So how do we deal with that? What, what, how do you, how do you, what, is, what would be your advice as someone who spent so it, much time with Donald Trump and thinking about him and his lies? It, it will be sort of one of the top challenges the nation will face that the moment he, declares his candidacy that at first first just as the media you know we it's not just lessons learned um during his presidency about needing to supply appropriate context to fact check to at times not carry him live because you can't trust what he'd say would be mm -hmm. true and i do think the media got better at that as we went along uh by the end of his tenure uh we there were some guardrails were put up that i think were good um, but this will be an entirely new place. He's no longer an outgoing president. He would be potentially the GOP frontrunner. Uh, so we're going to have to really figure out how we can cover him. It, it just, it shouldn't just be turn, you know, turn on the camera and let it run. Like we're going to all have to be really work really hard to keep him in, to keep him honest or at least supply context. But more than that, how do we frame him? Do we frame him as an insurrectionist presidential candidate? At the same time, he is someone who still enjoys the, support of the majority of the Republican Party. He's ahead in nearly every poll. Uh, and in a, such a polarized nation, and the book gets into how we became so divided, so Team Red, Team Blue, uh, you know, he is still going to enjoy widespread support. And, and it would certainly, it would be foolish to count out his chances of winning. Playbooks, Eugene Daniels and Politico's White House correspondent, Jonathan Lemire. Jonathan's new book, The Big Lie, comes out tomorrow. Here's what's up in Washington today, starting with the White House. At 12.30 p.m. Eastern, President Joe Biden will speak virtually to the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives Conference. Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre will brief at 3 p.m. with White House COVID coordinator Ashish Jha. Here's what's on the vice president's calendar. At 8.45, Vice President Kamala Harris will leave D.C. for Indianapolis. There, she'll convene Indiana state legislatures to talk abortion. The Senate will meet at 3 p.m. to take up the House message to accompany the legislative vehicle for the promise to address Comprehensive Toxics Act. At 5.30, the Senate will have a cloture vote teeing up the Chips for America Act. Expect a possible final vote on Tuesday or Wednesday. All right, for more news, What's breaking in D.C. right now? Subscribe to the Playbook newsletter. That's at politico.com slash playbook. Our music is composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. I'm Rogu Munavolan. Have a good week. We'll see you first thing tomorrow morning. 
Some people say the metaverse will only be virtual. But one day in the metaverse, doctors will practice high-risk surgeries hundreds of times before they operate on real patients, and students will be transported to ancient Rome and Saturn's rings, improving health outcomes, learning, and more. The metaverse may be virtual, but the impact will be real. Learn more about what Meta is building for the metaverse at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. 